Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dive? We have got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your love for us. At this time, we would ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, we humbly ask that you would pour your spirit out amongst us. Lord, illuminate our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you. I pray especially for people today that are sitting, that are hearing this message, that are in a sense of, of stress and turmoil. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister to them. Strengthen them, guide them toward you this morning. May the words of my mouth Meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. As you know, we've been taking a break from our study in Genesis, a new summer series examining the reason why we emphasize what we emphasize in church. Not just in doctrine, but in practice, why we do what we do, Church 101. Today I want us to consider, to begin, introduction, three simple facts that we will see in Scripture. Fact number one is this. God called Christians to be with him forever. But for a time, he's left us in this world, gathered together in local churches, just like this. Fact number two, he has chosen us to use our life together as churches as a primary method of displaying his glory to everyone. Fact number three, we are all sinners. Now the first two facts, if you think about it, work very, very well together, but the third fact complicates matters considerably. Think about this. One day, everyone in the world will bow before God in humble worship and praise. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But until then, God in his wisdom has left the task of displaying his what? His glory and his perfect character... Through what? Through us as imperfect people who make up the local church. Let me explain what that looks like. If you would allow me, you know that my mom went home to be with the Lord just over a month ago. One of the things about my mom is that she was my dad's biggest fan. Always talked about her handsome, oh, so handsome, hero uh, husband. And she literally would like, oh, mm, 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 there he is. And mom was also very honest to say, you know what? If you were to take dad apart, okay, his eyes are kind of small, his nose is a little straight. If you were to take all the pieces apart, he's really not much to look at. But put them all together and she would go, mm, 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 mm. That's my man. In many ways, that's us in the local church. Separately, uh, put us together. Now, now, 
my goal this morning is that we understand, we learn to understand, we begin to understand the gifts, the resources, the opportunities that have been given to us as faithful followers of Jesus. And Lord willing, as members, faithful members, commitment, covenant together at Big Woods Bible Church. As we consider questions, how is it that we as sinners can respond to sin in our midst without kind of descending into judgment and criticism and slander? How can we trust our leaders when we know that our leaders are sinners themselves? How can we love people who maybe are different than us? How do we learn to love people that make us feel kind of uncomfortable? How can we continue to strive toward unity when we know that what? There's such diversity. Now my goal this morning is this. Today's message in many sense, let me, let me set the record. God will take care of the unity part. We've had a thousand messages on the subject of unity. I don't really want to address that as much as I want to examine what us understanding God's design for diversity. Let's go directly to Scripture. You've opened up the Word. Ephesians chapter 3. We pick it up in verse... I've got one place 7 and one place 8. Let's begin at verse 7. You have 8. We'll begin in verse 7. You will catch up. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The word of the Lord. A little hint here, if I could just remind you, Ephesians chapter 3 comes after Ephesians chapter 2. Helpful little hint. Ephesians chapter 2 is what? It is all gospel, plain and simple. We are dead in our trespasses in verse 1. We have been made alive together in Christ. For by grace you've been what? Saved through faith. This is not your doing, it is a gift. And now what? So what? The gospel does not end with our salvation. Which leads us to, and I read this from a commentary this week, I love this phrase, the gospel leads us to some very disruptive implications. End quote. The first disruptive implication is what? The fact that we're different, but we're called to be together as one. Dr. William Anderson taught a class at Harvard University on the madness of crowds. And he was teaching concepts of what mass psychology by examining what happens when, when crowds would get together. He used examples like the New England witch hunts. 
urban legends, even financial panics. Everybody jumps on board. But a career studying crowds did nothing to prepare him for the local church. In his very own words, he visited a Christ-centered, gospel-preaching church, and he says, quote, I was struck with the genuineness of the diverse Christian fellowship. He said that the relationship seemed highly uncommon. In his experience, Christians interacted not as subdivided coalitions of people with similar interests, but as a single unit. They, they exercised not differently, but together, which actually was the first step of Dr. William Anderson coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior. Now, where does that corporate unity come from? Here's the answer. The gospel. Think about this. When you become a Christian, there is a complete identity shift. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. You become what? Adopted into God's family. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High. You've been united to Jesus just as Christ was raised from the dead. You too walk in the newness of life. That means that being a Christian, a follower of Christ, is more fundamental to your identity than anything else. Which means what? It's more important than your job, your ethnicity. Being a follower of Jesus, one who's committed their life to the gospel, is more important than your nationality, your sexuality, your personality, even your family, any way that the world would define you, this what? This is above that. Wherever the gospel exists, diversity should exist too. So think of it like this. Diversity is a natural outpouring of the, the gospel. The diversity that, that Dr. Anderson witnessed offers an amazing witness to everyone else. So much so that rulers and authorities are like, what, what's happening there? And it moves us beyond kind of looking at a group and saying, yeah, they're, they're all kind of weird. They're a little different. But they like being together. It moves us beyond even that to what? What is happening here? It should be a supernatural outpouring. Unity in the midst of diversity is a supernatural what? Characteristic of the local church. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this, the purpose. There's a purpose. God designed this thing. Purpose of diversity. Back to Ephesians 3. What is God's eternal purpose? We just asked that question in verse 11. But we know it's for the church to display his wisdom to all of creation. How does that happen? He's going to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that has been hidden for ages. Well, what is this mystery? We didn't really read about it in Ephesians chapter 3 in that section, but just before in verse 6, it says what? This mystery... Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body. They're partakers of the same promise 
in Jesus Christ as God's chosen. Romans 11 says that they were grafted in to the family, all of it because of and through the gospel of Jesus. What God does, what God has done is amazing. Think about this setting. For hundreds of years, hundreds of years, God had promised that one day he would fold the Gentiles in. Nobody likes the Gentiles. He's going to fold them in to the same family. I was reading this verse to Wendy this week in Isaiah chapter 49 in verse 6. Prophetic statement. Listen, listen to this, the word of the Lord. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. God is saying it's too light, it's too small of a thing just for that. What? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God is saying, I'm not here to do something tiny. I don't want some light little thing. I want something that's going to impact the entire globe. Now in Christ, using what? We know the ministry of the Apostle Paul. That's exactly what happened. In Christ, the descendants of Abraham were those that not only share in the flesh, but share in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so much so that rulers and authorities in heavenly places are taking notice that there is unity between the Jew and the Gentile in the local church. And it's not just the fact that they have been separated for what? Millennia. Actually, it's described in what? Chapter 2, verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility. Which means that the Jew and Gentile, they're not just different ethnically, but they are. They're not just different culturally, and they are. They're not just, what, different theologically, and they are. It's the fact that their separation was openly hostile. Let me put it in plain speech. They hated each other. These two groups, groups despised one another. And yet something happened. When Christ took his last breath on the cross, it's finished. We know that the curtain, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And there was no longer a barrier between Jew and Gentile, it, it had been totally removed. And any person in the first century would literally shout out, saying, it is impossible, this is impossible. These two groups do not, do not get along, and they do not worship together. It would take a miracle. <laughs> Well, that, that's precisely the point. If you were to continue on, listen to Paul's doxology at the end of that same chapter. Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Despite centuries of animosity, you have Jew and Gentile singing and worshiping together. Like the choir that you just were, I heard. All glory be to Christ. That that's, that's what happens here. It is what? It is truly God's power. We just said that in Ephesians chapter 3. At work within us. Because you're like, yeah, I don't have it. I don't like that guy. She bugs the living heck out of me. No, no, no. But there is a power that is at work within you. So what? what? God will gain glory and his wisdom is manifest to the local church. It's true not only of the Ephesians, but what? Of every person that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what is this what is this eternal purpose of diversity, not just for the Ephesians, but at Big Woods? We exist for one reason. We say it over and over and over and over again. We are to show off the power of the cross. Whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. And God does that by bringing into relationship those who would otherwise remain totally separated. Just like Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, the same principle applies. God is glorified when people who would previously be separated are unified, are brought together as one in Jesus Christ. The, the analogy that I think is best is marriage. Th think about... What is happening? Marriage celebrates unity together, husband and wife, man and woman, in the midst of diversity. A little hint here. A man is like totally different than a woman. We think different. We look different. We act different. We have different roles. Eve was created, it says what, to be his helper. One who was fit for him corresponds to him. She was different, and yet it says What? God says, I want you to hold fast. He says, I want you to become one flesh. That doesn't work unless there's difference. And we see that what? Husband and wife may be totally, totally different in the way that they view things, but that's God's design. That's God's design for the local church. If the purpose of diversity is to display the power of the cross... We should look at what we mean by this. So what is this? Secondly, the character of diversity. Like, what is this? If you hear that word today, you may think, well, there's, there's racial diversity or ethnic diversity or let's just call the monster in the room. As the world has what? verbally hijacked this word diversity. The study that the ladies did earlier this spring, it's called word theft. A great and glorious word has been stolen and hijacked. Diversity is meant today to include anyone and anything who attempts to redefine or redesign God's perfect plan so that what you must celebrate that. Or else you will be threatened as an intolerant bigot. The diversity that we're thinking about is so much more than that. It is so much more. Just think of all of the differences, the boundaries that society presents as a local church. Just sitting right here. 
of what we must overcome. Look to your left and right, and you will notice that there very quickly are boundaries of age. Where in the world do you see 70-year-olds serving pancakes to students after midnight at, at, at LHU? You actually see that at Big Woods. Where do you hear testimonies we just heard this week of what two-and-a-half-year-old Lincoln Redgate with men and women and teenagers helping a widow in our body, Jane, what, move into her new house when what, they're not even really technically related. Where do you see something like that happen? That stuff doesn't happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our how about boundaries of economics? Our world is very familiar, okay? And we hear this. This is pushed at us. People who have more can very easily do things, nice things, for those that have less. And people are encouraged to do that all the time. And then what happens? Those people that have more do a nice thing for those who have less and then they relegate themselves back to the safety of their own little community where they hang with people that are just like them. No, no, no. That, that is not. That, that should never be the church of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle James attacks. Martin Luther says what? That James frustrates him. He goes, I'd like to throw old Jimmy in the fire once in a while. James attacks the church's unfair treatment or preferential treatment. If you show partiality, he says, you are committing sin and you are convicted as what? The law as transgressors. You don't dare measure separation because some people have more than others. How about boundaries of politics? Oh my goodness, we're really going to go there this morning? Yeah. The, the local church, we have a moral responsibility to speak out loud and clear about moral issues. Number one, the sanctity of human life from the very moments of conception. And we protect that and we speak towards that. And what? A moral obligation to speak about the sacredness of marriage that exists exclusively between a man and a woman. But... The, the, the moral authority that we know exists in these areas doesn't always translate along political lines. Not always. When it comes to the specifics of public policy. And so what happens as a result is that the local church can be a place where Christians can differ and debate when it comes to public policy. And you can do that all day for six days a week. Have at it. You come here. I tell you what, every single one of us come together as we are all united in humble submission to King Jesus, first and foremost. There's boundaries of personality. Might as well just, we got the can open already. We might as well just keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that every single person has a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says every single person is needed, is valuable, part of the body. 
And yet it's true. There's some that seem, even by their own admission, kind of socially awkward. Like they just, they would say, I just don't really fit. Well, join the club. You do realize that someone who would say, well, maybe I'm a little bit more socially awkward. Do they find this church to be a safe place for them? A refuge for them? Or is this church as cold and callous and, and awkward as the rest of the world is? Sure, there may be the extrovert who finds it very, very easy to make quick friendships in the church, but that does not make them any more important or any more essential to the church than the quiet introvert who perhaps listens well, who loves deeply, and serves faithfully. You see the difference of diversity and what it means for us to be together? There's boundaries of a cultural background or just the way that you were raised. Some people here grew up in church. Others have not. And as you grew up in churches, it's very evident as we begin to get to know, there is like every faith background represented, you could possibly imagine, that gather here every single Sunday morning. People who are raised in more of a liturgical or traditional Presbyterian versus those who are raised, what, in a Pentecostal background. And yet they come here together. There's some people that were not raised in church and they have no idea what you're talking about when you refer to a difference of denomination or translation. We meet them where they're at. Big Woods has its own kind of like weird culture. I don't know what it is. We speak English here. I don't know anything else. I preach from the ESV, but there's multiple translations that are even represented here. We use a blend of instruments, usually. And that's fine. And a blend of voices. Maybe what you can do is start by asking people from a different background. You notice, this is uncomfortable. Ask them. What is it you struggle with? Ask them what's, what's hard for them. And ask how you can simply serve them. Just serve them. How can I make this easier for you? We are to take Take the instruction of the next chapter in Ephesians chapter 4 very serious. We are to be eager to maintain unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Wendy and I had dinner with a pastor and his wife quite some time ago. They're from Pittsburgh. And they were in a kind of a traditional, um, small, older church in the midst of a really run-down, kind of drug-infested community. And this pastor was telling us very quickly, okay, he, he couldn't wear his white pinstripe Oxford the way that he would normally wear. And he exchanged that. He says, no, no, I, I wore sweatshirts. He had a Bible study. He was telling us he had a Bible study. He went to a crack house. And it was in the basement of the crack house. The first person came to know the Lord. Actually, the dealer. Who led others to the Lord. Just, just by what? Just, I got I to I take off the Oxford. 
and I got to put on a sweatshirt. I'm just going to come. I'm going to sit with you right here. And I know we're never, like, we're never going to get it perfect, but praise God that there is what? Unity at work in the midst of diversity. Thirdly, I know our time is quickly escaping. Let me, let me leave you with this the blessing of diversity. And there is great blessing. We say, okay, well, this sounds good and it, it preaches well on a Sunday, but how do we? And you have to look at some level, we're, all, we're, we're at some level, there's a lot of us that are alike. How do we grow in diversity in all these areas? Okay, so this sounds good. What do we do? We got to do something. Now, my response, my answer, actually, you're going to think maybe is a little bit um, naive, maybe even offensively naive. Here's what, here's what you and I are to do, okay? To see unity and diversity coexist at Big Woods. We do nothing. In, in one sense, we, we don't have to do anything. You do understand that. Why? Because we consider what has already been done. All of Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Listen to the evidence. Let me, let me show you. I'm not just like up here saying, just go home and do nothing. No, 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 no. Let me prove to you. Ephesians chapter 2, 14. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. Here's this phrase, the dividing wall of hostility. He destroyed it by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two. Thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Who, 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 wait, who did all of this? Who, who created the one new man from two? Who's the one who made peace? I stand behind the cross by design. Christ. Christ is the one who did this. Paul's just describing what happened in our salvation. There's nothing left for us to do. The only imperative verb in this entire section, chapter 2, verse 12, and it says what? You remember. Just remember, at one time you were separated. You ever, you ever make a fire before? So when you light a fire, how do you turn up the heat? How do, how do you make it hot? You, you don't, no, you don't do that. You just enjoy it. That's exactly what God has done. When he saves us, he's brought, this is what happens. People who normally wouldn't hang together. I really don't care about listening to your story. All of a sudden, I want to lean that direction. That's my sister hurting. That's my brother who just, what? I got a text last night. My boy just made the all-star team. Well, I was like, well, he's got a little, bit of a, a little bit of a hitch in his arm. I don't know if that's... You celebrate with that. Yet at some level, 
we do nothing. We just, we just live as God has designed us to be in grace. There's still a responsibility of learning to like live and serve and to even love when diversity exists. Here's a couple things on our way out the door. Recognize the invisibility of your culture. Everyone ever tell you this before? I've heard it a lot. You have a little bit of an accent when you speak. Like, where, where are you from? And in your mind, you hear that. <clears throat> and you're thinking, actually, I don't have the accent. You're the one who talks weird. Like, that's just normal for us. Th think that you actually have to have your eyes open to the fact that not everyone talks like you. Not everyone thinks like you. Romans 12 says what we love one another with brotherly affection and we outdo one another showing honor. One of the best ways we can do this is asking questions, open-ended, open open-minded question. Tell me your story. I'd love to hear your background. And no, for some reason, amen, and people like, bolt. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not the spirit at work drawing differences together. Secondly, embrace those who are different than you. The United States Department of Agriculture offers what is referred to, and you learned this in, I don't know what, third grade? It's called a balanced food plate, which means you can't just eat burgers and fries all day, every day. Chicken nuggets, sorry, it doesn't work like that. Rather, there's a balanced food plate, which means fruits and vegetables, and you need your, your grains and your proteins in order to have something healthy. Same idea exists with relationships that you are to have with others in this body. As, as we seek to pour into others, and as we seek to have others pour into us, what happens? You better be checking each one of those sections of your food plate. And when you realize that you don't have any weird people in one of your sections, you better go find somebody. And it won't be hard to find them. Because I'm at the front of a really long line. But you understand, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Big picture, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Again, how does it start? Meaningful conversations. Ask people questions. They love to talk about themselves. And when you lean in and you listen and you weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, God is going to do an amazing work. Finally, make sacrifices for the sake of unity. It's going to cost. You offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Love must be sincere. We're to practice hospitality. We have to sacrifice what? Our own comforts. Who, who, who died and made you king? Who thinks that the world has to revolve around what you want? 
we understand what? If anyone wants to be first, let him be last. Let him be a servant of all. Get ready to serve. Sacrifice your own preferences. I'm not real crazy about the particular style of music. Who gives a rip what you really think you need to have? You can just send those emails to me and I'm going to respond all week long. <laughs> Sacrifice. What, what, well, I don't, I don't, you know what? We'll go to his house. He's probably going to serve this and I don't really like to eat that. Oh my goodness. And I've heard it all. Sacrifice our resources and our time to serve and to host someone into your home to give and to care. First John says what? Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Sacrifice some of the habits. Some of you, okay, make your schedule like a month out, two months out. Sorry, I'm going to have to schedule you. I got an opening first week in September. Maybe, 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 just maybe, spontaneously, you could say, hey, what are you doing for lunch after church? Want to go together? It's gonna, like, people are going to like start shaking. That's what we have to sacrifice. What's the point of offering these sacrifices? Not for diversity's sake, okay? It's because the eternal Son of God has already made the ultimate sacrifice. He's, he's already laid it all out there. And he calls us to follow him in obedience. By our unity, we testify. We shout loud what it means to be one who is controlled and filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to just read on and on one little verse in closing. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. God has done the work. Remember what he has done. Look for other people that maybe you don't hang with and watch the Holy Spirit do a great work in a very diverse congregation. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word before us. Please, Lord, help us not to be hearers only, but doers. And thank you for your patience with us, your grace with us. Thank you, Lord, that we can truly, just as we already sang, live in such a way that all glory be to Christ. We ask this in Christ's name.